Um, do we want to start the show? Sure. Like, how do we want to do these? Like, do we want to, like, introduce or the stuff, or do you want to... Nah. I kind of like the way it starts all awkward. Oh. Okay, well, I guess this is perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I say. Oh no. What a fold. Yeah, it folds. Um, what did you decide to drink today? Oh, today I am drinking Jameson. Oh, really? You fancy. What kind of Jameson? Regular. Okay. Yeah, I got I... some the other day. Mm. So, I realized that I have a lot of free booze from the stations, but I don't like drinking it as much. Because it's like, I like bourbon and whiskeys and all that stuff. But the problem is I'll drink it, and then it's gone. And then it's like, ooh, I want to drink. And it's like, yeah, I can have a little bit of vodka, but I don't want that. <laughs> Do you not have beer at the house? Yeah, I have that too. Okay. Yeah. I picked up uh, just a Stella Artois. Ah, I have it's a 12-pack up here too. It's a Belgian lager. This is one of your go-tos, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't nice. drink it as much at home because um, I really like the draft, mm-hmm. but the um, the what's it called the um, the bottle is just I don't like it as much. So sometimes I'm like, well, if I could just buy a cheap beer that I like, I might not buy this one <laughs> and feel disappointed. <laughs> you don't like the the Stella in the bottle? Not as much. Oh, yeah. Well. I mean, it's still good. Yeah, it is But, I mean, like I was saying before, where it's like, if I like Miller High Life. Oh, that's true. And it's cheap and I enjoy it. And it's good. But then if I buy Stella and it's expensive and I drink it and you're like, ah, it's not as good as it is on draft. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, see, my problem is I don't like Miller High Life. Well, see, that's your problem. (laughs) Or any other cheap beer. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah. See, that's the thing. You got to find your one cheap beer. Right, right. That looked like a that looked like a sippy cup for a second there. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a water bottle. <laughs> it's like you're drinking drinking this Jameson out of uh, out of sippy out cup. Of... No, I got my Jameson in my uh, my Smith Center theater cup. Oh, neat. The cups they make you buy to go into the theater. Right, right. And you know they're three bucks a pop, and then you forget to bring yours. And... Right, of course. So we have about 50 of these things. Yeah, I've given up on trying to remember to bring mine, and I just use it as, like, you know the you know the cup that you're supposed to have by the sink for, like, rinsing out after brushing your teeth and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah, because I, I think those cups are kind of gross. <laughs> so, But I don't want to pay for a disposable one, so every time I go to the Smith Center, basically I get a new cup. Right. <laughs> and that's what I use it for, so. We like using ours because, like, when, when like, you know... We drink outside or um, one of the kids come over or something and you're like, here, here's this plastic cup. Heck, um, uh, Jeff Myers, Ashley's dad, came by and they picked up some furniture. And we were like, you want some water? And he's like, yeah, do you have a bottle? And I was like, oh, we don't have a bottle. So Lisa's like, just give him a Smith Center cup. And I put a lid <laughs> on it. And I said, here you go. Because you fancy that way. Yeah. 
No bottled hey. water, but I got a cup that you could take home. Hey, what happened to um I've I've I know a little bit about this uh Spider Man Sony thing. I was wondering if you knew more. Um I don't know. I never really looked too much into it, but it looks like Sony is um either ceasing their deal with Marvel because they're working together. So the idea was <clears throat> the two Spider-Man movies that came out were Sony distributed films that Marvel produced that Sony and Marvel or would like cut the shares or something to get them into the MCU. Right. Yeah. And then, but then also in a sense, you're having somebody else make the movie. Cause a lot of movies are done by a production company and then released by a distributing company. Like, you might have a, a smaller company like Jerry Bruckheimer will produce a movie and then 20th Century Fox may distribute it or something like that. Oh, gotcha. You know, because, like, the big studios don't produce movies like they used to. Interesting. So then this yeah. is just a money grab then because they they got to realize that there's no way that they can they can reboot Spider-Man again right now, don't they? Well, no. They, I mean, they could keep it the same way. Without because- any MCU. Yeah, because if you watch the Spider-Man movies, they don't have to be part of the MCU. But, I mean, they made it that way, like having Happy Hogan in both of them and stuff right. like that. So, Right, and now they, they ended still... the last one as Spider-Man is basically the new Iron Man of the Avengers and Happy dating, um, what's is her name, Aunt May. Aunt May. Yeah. yeah that's going to be really awkward. Yeah, well, so that's the thing. They, they can technically make a new movie with all the same characters. It, you know, maybe not Happy and maybe not Nick Fury and stuff, but... Or mentioning Avengers at all. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. That would be weird. Is Robert okay? I can hear him. <laughs> you can hear him? Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's pause this one sec. Go Let me check with Lisa real quick. So, uh, back to Spider-Man. I think yeah, the fact Spider-Man. is, I don't know exactly what Sony's doing, but I think the fact is they're planning to just sever this agreement, and I don't know how many films were in that agreement. Because, gotcha. I mean, you know, I, I could probably bring my cousin on and he'd tell you every little detail, because he doesn't have a real job. But... <laughs> <laughs> but, um... So, so it's like, um, you know, it could have been two with the option of three or something like that, and and him appearing in X amount of, um, you know, uh, Avengers slash Captain America movies or something like that, and and then they're like, well, this is the middle, or this is the end, and I'm cutting it. So I don't know, but the, it's memes like crazy, and yeah, everybody posting articles. So I was like, what the hell just happened? I didn't even notice. Yeah. Did you see the um, the Facebook event started? Storm Sony. Yeah, I saw Aaron posted that. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah. Did they ever do that Area Fifty One storming? Oh no, it's supposed to be on September twentieth. Oh geez, we're already done with it. They planned that way too fast, or way too far in the future. I know, too far in the future. Well, well that's good though, because if they actually had any momentum, some crazy people might have actually shown up. Yeah. Well, as our bus driver told us uh, when we were oh, yeah. coming home from Steubenville, he's like, yeah, they can show up. It's only a runway. It's not even where it really is. 
What do they call it too? It's a, it's got a special name. The runway, the, the was it the Miracle Runway? Or he said it was Dreamland or Dreamland. Something. There, I remember it was something like that. Yeah, he's like, that's all it is, is runway, and then we get in trucks, and then we drive forty five minutes somewhere else. And I was like, whoa! <laughs> I shouldn't have even said that. Now the government's gonna. Tapping our podcast. Mm-hmm. Who was your bus driver? We'll one, I don't know. We'll get one more, uh, one more download. <laughs> the government. <laughs> it will have an undisclosed location. <laughs> hey, maybe that's what that other one was. It was a government screening us and telling us, yeah, you because know, we have that one download from an undisclosed location. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like the first download ever. So yeah, maybe that was the government screening us. Giant mountain or something. Yeah. <laughs> Well, okay. Um, hey, speaking of downloads, yeah. do we mm-hmm. actually have any reviews? We do, but um, we have uh, one five-star review on iTunes that I saw, but that was it. Nothing else. Was there um, a review? Like, did they write something? No, just stars. Oh, so it's just a rating. It was, yeah, it was just it was just a friend. I think it was a. Uh, um, uh, who do I think it was? I think it was Kim. Um, I don't think you know Kim. Kim is oh. from um, Mesquite. Oh, well, what church thank is out you, there? Kim. Yeah. What church is out there? Um, the Virgin de Guadalupe, I think. Is it that one? Where's uh, uh Where's John the Baptist at? Uh, is that um? Not Caliente. Where is it? Um, Ely. No, no, Ely is not John the Baptist. Is it really? Yeah. Well then, I should know my diocese better than this. Yeah, you. you at least I'm not a. I'm not a employee <laughs> of, the of the diocese. <laughs> or I am I. <laughs> or am I? Uh, oh no, maybe it is John. The, no, wait. Let me double check. But I want to edit out all this dead air. <laughs> what do you mean we? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like I do anything. <laughs> it is. It is La Virgen de Guadalupe in Mesquite. That's the one. That's one by. Um, Booyah. Am I thinking of the wrong place? Where the heck is? Um, where the heck is Eureka at? Eureka, Eureka what? Eureka, Nevada. Yeah, where the where that casino is. Um, oh no, the Re- Eureka Casino is in in Mesquite. So okay, so it is Mesquite. Okay. Yeah, there is okay. a county of Eureka. Right. If you remember your Nevada history, when we had to learn all of our counties. Yeah. Speaking of Nevada history, so I got this. Um, John the Baptist is in Laughlin. Laughlin. Well, maybe she is Laughlin. How far is Laughlin versus Mesquite? Uh, about the same. Oh, that's but they're tough. in opposite directions. Right, right, right. Yeah. So that makes sense. So the problem yeah. is, <laughs> it, it could be. Yeah, it could be. Um, the Laughlin. problem is, I'm a bad friend, and I can never remember these things because I've never been there, and I'm like, it's some rural parish in. One of those rural parishes, nobody cares. Laughlin, oh. I have no idea. You have the same priest as four other churches. <laughs> chocolate. Ooh, double chocolate. <gasps> New flavor, triple chocolate. Now as David makes his way towards the Stella. I will tell you our sponsor today is Refrigerators. Refrigerators keep your drinks cold and your food cold. Way to preserve things is refrigerators. Now that we don't need to salt everything, amen. What a, hey, what? <laughs> oh, just an, it's just an ad read. Oh, 
four-day weekend. So anyway, uh, did you read that article I sent? Uh, no. <laughs> I wanted to write to you when you said, should I send you this article? And I was going to say, yeah, I'd like to read it, but I know I'm not going to be able to. But it's I like half a page. <laughs> oh, I didn't know it was that low. Every time it's, you send stuff, it's like eight pages of stuff. No, because it's just an excerpt. Because the study itself is is much larger. So, and this is just kind of an excerpt of that story that's really focused on transubstantiation. Uh huh. So it's literally um, two ginormous graphs, and you know, like two paragraphs or three paragraphs. So it's a. All right. Well, let's yeah. let's sum up this article for the viewers at home. Sure. So the article's title Sorry, was listeners um, at home for the. <laughs> They could be viewers. We could. Uh, Gerald said that we should, uh, um, since since it is already you know um, videoed, that we could just record it and put it on YouTube, and people would be interested in that. I find that hard to believe, but I also understand that people watch all kinds of things on YouTube. Yeah, that's the other thing too. I think it's funny on how people are like, "Oh, I watch all these things on YouTube," and I'm like, "Right? Do they have an audio version?" Because I was right. trying to see if certain guys like there's the Comics Explain guy. Mm-hmm. And he makes these videos that he pretty much explains, like, what he does is he reads a, you know, a story arc or or a big event or something. And then he explains it to you in, like, 30 minutes, you know, two, you know, two hours or whatever. And then he just shows pictures of the book itself and stuff. While he's explaining it? Yeah. But, you, you know, you don't need the pictures. But, right, I right. mean, it's, it's nice. But so it's like you could just listen to it. And so I'm like, oh, does he have it in audio? And it's like, no. Man, that's like, painful because then what if what if you are driving and you just want to listen? You know, like a... Well, technically, have... if you want to, you can set up your your YouTube to play and you can listen to it. Well, you could, but then you're going to be streaming the whole time, and that's a that, and that's a video stream, which is going to eat up all your data. Oh yeah, it will. I'm just telling you, you can. Oh yeah, well I know that. I've done that before. But uh, listening to because um, before before Peter Kraft didn't have his um, uh, his talks uh, on a podcasting channel, or I didn't know he had his talks on a podcasting channel, or they weren't on there. I don't it really was know a video channel. Yeah, and so it was just a bunch of, and it wasn't a channel like. It, well, there was eventually some guy who just started compiling them, um, but they were just random from like events that he had done or whatever, and or debates that he had done, and they were just recorded. And so I would just, uh, um, I would just grab them and listen to them while I was in the car because I liked the debates and stuff like that. But um, but I had to, uh, and, and then she would be like, "We just got a text message saying we use seventy five percent of our data." <laughs> but I have been doing. I'm like, I've been listening to YouTube videos while driving. <laughs> I guess if you do a lot, like my problem is like the data, it's like, hey, you could do one G or three G's. And then I do like one and a half to two. Gotcha. So it's like I'm never close to three, but I'm always over one. So it's right. like I'm paying for all this extra that I don't need. So I'm like, and especially because I barely use a lot because I always have Wi-Fi either here or work. And that's where I spend 90% of my life. And I don't, you know, listen, watch videos while I'm like, you know, waiting for food, you know, or at the restaurant or anything. So right, it's right. like, yeah, I don't do that either. Yeah. Where my sister will do stuff like that all the time. And I'm like, oh, man. But, like, for me, I'm like, oh, I don't do any of this. So, 
I, I use up so little data. So right. when it's like, hey, I could just, you know, YouTube, you know, an, uh, a soundtrack. Eh, yeah. Why not? <laughs> yeah. I'll end up using a lot of data if we take the kids out because um, Isaac has a, a um, maximum point to where he can't uh, function anymore. And uh, then he gets like the iPad or my, my phone or something like that. So he can kind of, um, especially for a dinner, because, you know, a dinner with three kids is closer hour and a half, two hours. And Isaac is going to be done eating in about 40 minutes. It's <laughs> Yeah. So he needs uh, uh, to, in order to stay calm, a lot of times he'll, he'll want a distraction from the outside world um, to kind of focus him in. And then, uh, so I'll need to either use a, um, what's it called, a hotspot on my phone so he can use his iPad or hand him my phone. And that, that eats our data. And then the other stuff is just me listening to a YouTube video or something like that while I'm driving, mm-hmm. especially if there's a talk that I can't get on a podcast um, or debate or something like that that I want. Right. Yeah. Because music sucks. Well, music on the radio sucks. Spotify is good. There's a lot uh-huh. of good stuff on Spotify. I've been yeah. listening to this. Um, do you like funk music? Like, uh, like um, what's it called? Like Bootsy Collins or something? Yeah, or like James Brown or yeah. like, that's more like funk soul, but. Um, You're thinking like, of more like um, Rick James. No, Rick James isn't too funky. Yeah, no. Uh, George Clinton is the king of funk or whatever. There you go. But anyway, there's this band. Uh, it's called Scary Pockets, which I think is a great name for a band. But um, they're just doing funk covers. They're taking uh, a bunch of songs and then just uh, um, covering them in the style of funk. Oh, like all the punk covers I listen to. Yes. Yeah, like punk covers but funk. And so uh, really fun. Uh, and they some of their stuff is, is terrible, but they do some really good ones. Like they did uh, – um, Gnarls Barkley, I think is what he was called back then. The CeeLo Green's Crazy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really awesome. And then they did Mbop, which was cool. Um, and a fun, as a funk cover, and then they did uh, some. Uh, what was another one they did? Some Daft Punk stuff, which was kind of cool. So I started listening to them. GV doesn't get it, but I, I think it's awesome. I'm not really into covers either, so they they really grabbed my attention. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. So back to this article. Okay. All right. So the article's title is just one-third of U.S. Catholics agree with the church that the Eucharist is body, blood of... It, the Eucharist is the body, of blood of Jesus Christ. So this was, uh, this um, article came out on August 5th. Um, the actual Pew Research um, study was was done in February, the beginning of this year, and then released uh, the last week of July. And this was part of that study. And... Um, and here's what's interesting is it says that uh, whenever you're reading through it, it says that uh, um, 7 in 10 Catholics, 69%, say they personally believe that during Catholic Mass, the bread and wine used in, commu- in communion are symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And just one-third of U.S. Catholics, 31%, say that they believe that during the Catholic Mass, the bread and wine actually become the body and blood of Jesus. So, but then they put this, they, then the, the questions continued, right? And so they didn't just um, ask about whether they believe it. They asked about what the, if they know what the church teaches on the subject. Uh. So here's, here's where it gets interesting. So for people that believe the bread and wine is just a symbol, 
um, believe, know that uh, know the church's teachings on transubstantiation, right? And uh, this is of the 69%. So 22% of the 69% know the church's teaching on, on transubstantiation. 43% think the church churches the bread or the, the church churches. 43% think the church teaches that bread and wine are symbols. And then the last 4% or less than 5% are unsure what the church teaches or gave no answer or something like that. So that's uh, that's that makeup. So 43% of the 69 or not 43% of 69. 43% of Catholics who fall in the 60 69% think the church teaches that bread and the bread and wine are symbols. But 22 know the church teaching and still reject it. And then the other one on the other side is um, 20 uh, of the 31 percent, um, 28 percent of the 30. This is weird to say. It's actually 28 percent of all Catholics surveyed, but they fall in the 31 percent. Does that make sense? Kind of. All right. So because it was 31 percent of Catholics uh, believe in the, the real presence. Right. Uh-huh. And then. In the in the um, out of the all in all, twenty eight percent only twenty eight percent know the t- church teaching of transubstantiation and believe it, right? So you're saying there's three percent that believe it but don't know it. Correct. There's three percent of this is, uh, that's like polling errors. <laughs> that's what I was, that's what you'd think, right? Because that doesn't make any sense at all. I'm like, how does this even happen that you have three percent of Catholics? Who think that the church teaches that the bread and uh, that the that the Eucharist is a symbol of the body and blood of Jesus, and um, yet they believe that it's the actual body and blood of Jesus. That's got to be people who don't understand the the survey or something like that. But it's three percent. I mean, that's that's a significant number. Because what is this? This was uh, the, the total survey made up of eleven thousand people, but I think only two thousand of them were Catholic. Wait, how can you have a a survey where only 2,000 people are Catholic. I thought it was a, Catholic, a survey. No, no, no. Uh, Pew Research Center is a survey. Is a And this particular um, survey had to do with uh, – the whole survey had to do with um, people's knowledge about their faith. So it was a – it had uh, Jews, Protestants, Evangelicals, Muslims, um, and Catholics. Oh, they had this, their own questions? Right, right. This is just a small part of it, which is why the article is so short. Oh, but because if there's only 2,000 people, this article is pretty much useless. Not really, because... Um, no, get, you're right, because it's a sample size. It's like, what, exactly. 1% of the, the that's, district that's a, that's is a good voted. Sample, that's a pretty good sample size. Like, a, a great sample size would be 3,000, but 2,000 is pretty decent sample <laughs> size. So, I don't know. I just think when you're talking about, like, a billion people, that 2,000 isn't much. Well, we're not talking about a billion. We're talking about U.S. Catholics. So oh, yeah, yeah, so so yeah, they're skewed in the survey, but I think that they are, even if they even if the survey is is not the sample size that that would be you know like a ten thousand Catholics or something like that, it's still showing, it's still revealing something that I think we know is true, right? Right. That that very few uh, that that less and less Catholics believe in the true presence of the Eucharist, and. On the other side, they actually break it down to people that, um, uh, that based on uh, how often they attend, because that was one of the questions as well. Huh. So um, weekly mass attenders, um, 63% of people who are weekly or more believe in the true presence, where 37% don't. Uh, if you only go monthly or once a year, 
the rate jumps the rate jumps to 25% believe oh. and 75% don't uh, if you seldom or never go, then 13% um, believe and 87% don't. Um, that makes sense. Right, exactly. But overall, even regardless of attendance, those under the age of 40, 26% profess uh, the belief in the true presence, where 74% don't believe in the true presence. I, and personally, I'll tell you what I feel. Mm-hmm. I feel like throughout all my experience, and I can only tell you, you know, from, you know, CCD in California and religious education out here, I feel like we're teaching it wrong. Maybe so? not us so much in our class because I know that I try hard not to. Right. But I feel like we don't emphasize the the transubstantiation versus transformation. Right. Yeah, people get confused. Yeah, one of the common, like, just just looking at YouTube comments or whatever on um, videos defending the, the true presence or something like that, you'll see some ridiculous person saying if you put the host under a microscope and look at the you look at the um, atomic level, like, you, you're... You, it's going to still have the, the the properties of bread and wine, which completely misses the point, right? And so, clearly, people don't understand anything beyond the um, the material, the accidental level, um, right? So, it's physical attributes, right? Right? Because that's the problem. We don't teach it right. Like I don't, I I don't feel like we do. You know, uh, the church in general, because I feel like so many people and maybe it's because your grandma said it's it's now Jesus. So that's what it is. And when people used to listen to that, that's why you have so many older people in that 75 percent range that you're talking about. Right. Grandma Where, probably also said to take a St. Joseph statue and bury it upside down in your backyard and. You know, or um, yeah, that's how we sold our house. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. So some of these, some of these things that borderline superstition versus actual. Oh yeah, you know, there's a lot of that, and you know, and that could be because of you know more of your cultural stuff. You right. know, I know my great grandmother being you know Italian and stuff. A lot of stuff was superstitious, and then you see that that flowed over to the Catholicism. And, you know, it probably is like that for different cultures. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? my, my family's Filipino. Like, and Jimmy's family's Filipino. So, it, yeah, we get the, the superstitious stuff left and right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I got that with Italian. And my and my, my mom's side's also part Mexican. So, you got that, too. So, so mixing. To- yeah, mixing Italian. Mixing Italian. <laughs> mixing all these the superstitious uh, beliefs with, uh, I guess, what, what, what would be supernatural belief i guess is the is the issue that that is is kind of conflated or, or what do you think well maybe you know and that's that's why they they're more i don't know someone who's more liable to, or not liable but um more likely to believe in something just on face value you right. know of the old country per se or like of a different generation you know where you just say, hey, this is this, and that is that, and that's good. And then they're like, well, yeah, I believe it, because I still believe in the evil eye or, you know, the chupacabra or something. I don't know. 
Right, right. Or breaking a mirror, seven years bad luck. Or, exactly. Uh, walking under a ladder. Yeah, if you're going to go to that far. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I also don't want to say <laughs> we have to brand this <laughs> this uh, <laughs> this uh, podcast is like, look at these ageism. Everybody born before <laughs> 1965 is a cowardly and superstitious lot. No, no, but I think uh, um, I think there was just I think you're right on the catechesis level. There was poor catechesis. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, and, and I don't think it had to necessarily do with the age because think about the catechesis of of some of the people at that age. Like you think of Hans Urs von Balthasar, right? He died in the 90s, right? Brilliant or um, or think of uh, the the minds of G.K. Chesterton or Tolkien that we talked about last last uh, last week. You know these these were brilliant, educated Catholics, right? Or Dorothy Day, you know, um, mm-hmm. um, Flannery O'Connor. Like these these are Catholics of our day who were very well educated and brilliant. Um, but somehow, and a lot of people point to the breakdown of catechesis um, after Vatican II. Um, which I'm not sure. I'm not sure why that correlates, but it definitely does correlate. Um, but for whatever reason, catechism or catechesis after Vatican II got really, really bad for a second, like really bad. Um, and then it was almost like we abandoned the intellectual tradition of the church um, in favor of embracing. I don't know the um, good vibes. Is that is that what it is? Just this, no, I love Vatican too. Like there's like every single one of those documents is gorgeous. They're beautifully written, and they're and if you actually read the documents, they're intellectually rich. Like there's like Dei Verbum is is poetry and art and theology. Like there's it, it, I I don't understand the disconnect between what was actually written at Vatican II and then the practice that came from that. There, there, it's, what's it called? It's, um, it's the execution, you know? Sometimes you can have something good, and then when you try to put it in the real world, you execute it poorly. Right. It's like was- uh, reading the script of The Phantom Menace. When you read the script, you're like, oh, this isn't really that bad. They just didn't act it as well, and they added all this other stuff. So it's in the execution where it's not as good. I take it you read the script of uh, Phantom Menace? No, but but when I listened to the Star Wars Minute podcast, and they would refer to the script, and the one guy, he kept saying, this isn't that bad. They messed up somehow making the movie. But really, it's not as bad as it is. It should. It shouldn't be as bad as it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, I'm a prequel supporter, though. Are you? Yeah, yeah. I'm not upset that I watched them, but I don't really care to watch them again. Oh, I'll watch them. Yeah. But then I'm a Star Wars sucker, where it's like, yeah, it's on. It's I'll watch it. Take my money. Yeah. Yeah. I am planning on going to see the new one, though. Oh, I, well, you stupid. You got to see it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, but back to my point in um, the teaching, because it's like, I know I had a discussion with, you know, my cousin and my and his sister, my other cousin, and 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 
my cousin's wife, you know, and we were trying to talk about on what the church teaches about the Eucharist. And it's like, you guys went to X amount of Catholic school and you still don't know this stuff. And it's like, I understand you don't know it because I don't feel like we teach it right. And I'm like, this is what it is. It's, but this is, they make it seem this way. And they even called my aunt Rosie and she, she said, what do you guys care? You don't go to church anyway. <laughs> well, I think that's I think that's a big reason why people don't go to church. It, like, like clearly here, the 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 less you go to church, the the less, the less you believe. Oh right. yeah, it's gotta right. be it's gotta be connected that way. It's right. Gotta and be so the, fact the way that, that I see it anyway is that um, there are four reasons why people don't go to church in general. Right. The first one is. Um, is they don't know that Jesus is present truly, body, blood, soul, and divinity, that God is there at Mass, right? Uh-huh. The second is they know and they don't care because maybe they don't like Jesus or they're just indifferent to who Jesus is. Um, the, 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 the third is that um, they, um, what's it called? They, what was the third? Man, I'm so old. Time. No, no, because because if if you believed that God is present, you would make time to go, right? Right. So you'd have to either. Oh, so so um, the other one is that they um, they don't believe, right? They don't know that this is what the church. So so one is that they they don't know it's what the church teaches. Two is they know and they don't care. Three is they um, don't like Jesus himself, like so it doesn't matter what the church teaches. And then four is that they feel shame because they know Christ is present, right? Oh, yeah, so, yeah. I'm a big sinner, so I can't go yet. Right, exactly. And so I, those are the kind of the four categories that I see, right? And football. And football, right, which means that they um, either believe that Jesus is present and don't care or they just don't like Jesus. And right. so it doesn't matter what the church teaches about it, right? So – and I think that – What's interesting to me is the people that fall into that first into that second category that they believe what the church teaches, but they just don't go. Like we have um, the monthly or the seldom to never people that go to mass or that that uh, rarely go to mass. You know, twenty five percent of the monthly or yearly the CNE Catholics believe that Jesus is present, um, and then thirteen percent that never go or seldom go um, still believe that Jesus is present and yet they don't go the, the, yet they don't go, which means that Jesus, the, the person of Jesus doesn't matter to them, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you have like, I, I had a, a terrible conversation with a lady a couple of days ago who came into the office asking about RCIA, you know, to become Catholic. And she said she had this experience at another church where she goes into, um, uh, to the priest to talk about wanting to enter into the church and um oh a different parish well i don't want to say in this diocese no 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 no. i'm pointing out it's not a different church oh yeah no different parish yeah yeah yeah. different parish uh different catholic church right okay sorry i'm just clarifying yeah good clarification she was at another catholic church um and the priest there told her that um that basically her whole year formation that she had doesn't count because of whatever reasons he felt like um, and that he doesn't he doesn't foresee a way for her to um, learn about the faith in, a, in any kind of adequate way, even though she's professed um, belief in Jesus and his church um, and basically was unwilling to form her. Right. 
Wait, like something outside of that? Like you do this stuff on the side so I don't like you or? No, it was in the formal classes that were set up by the parish. So then what was he saying? You're not doing a good job in class so you shouldn't get it? She went to 30 hours of classes. And why would this priest say that? Like, I don't understand what his reasoning is. <laughs> his reasoning was he felt that the people teaching those classes that were set up at that parish didn't have um, adequate theological backgrounds to do so. So is he saying that about everybody in the class? Yep. Oh, okay. Well, that's a little different. I <laughs> thought so, it was just this individual. But here's this, here's this lady hungering and thirsting to be with Christ, looking for – and rather than re- just rejecting him or just rejecting the church right out for somebody saying that to her, she comes to another church, a different church, and she – and we talk and, and we find a way for her to begin pre- preparation. But in all the midst of this, I find out that her husband um, is – is anti um catholic church oh yeah and then after that conversation she had with his other priest her his comment to her was see this is why i hate organized religion because of the way that we present it and that to me um is the is the answer to number two and number three are the reasons why people don't go to church. The um, Those who believe that Jesus is present in the Eucharist and don't care, and then those who just don't like Jesus, I think it has to do with us. Like I think it was Brennan, Brennan – um, man, who was it? Brennan Manning, I think, who said that the number one cause of atheism in the world is Christians because yeah. they affirm Jesus with their lips and deny him with their lifestyle, right? Yes. Yeah, Which I can right, understand because right? everybody always looks at the hypocrites. Exactly. Because, <clears throat> you know, and Christianity is a big target for that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'd say so more than any other religion. Right. Well, also a lot of Christians, like we were talking about on another podcast, of is, you know, they're very like, oh, this is so sinful. I can't believe you do it. And like the... Uh, the, the Minnesota senator who thou protests too much or whatever. Um, maybe it wasn't Minnesota. I feel bad for the state. But, um, <laughs> you know, where he's like, oh, the gayness is so terrible and and that homosexuality. And then you find out he's sitting there tapping his foot in the bathroom for a gay thrill. Wow. And it's like where most people are like, oh, see, wh- this is the guy who's – who is totally against something that he's all into. Right, right. Thou doth protest too much. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, but I don't know. I don't know. It's that. And I also hate the fact that just because you get a priest that's an, then people like are like, well, that's it for the faith. Now I understand <laughs> I'm not talking trash right now about like little churches and stuff, but you know when you get the smaller par- churches that are the um you know non-denominational churches and it's like that pastor is the whole church, you know? Right. So if this guy does not jive with you, that that church doesn't work for you. Right. And you that's know? the culture that we that's the Protestant culture of the United States and we have that same culture within the Catholic Church of the United States. Mm-hmm. Is if the the pastor doesn't jive with you then that church is is 
terrible, regardless of whether she holds the actual truth, the right. actual right, right. And I feel and, like that's the problem. My point going back to that is if someone's, you know, it's like uh, I knew a family back at St. Peter's years ago that they didn't like something that was going on and and they just went to Central Christian, all but the right. daughter. And it's like, well, you just turned your back on the whole Catholic faith. You should have just turned your back on that priest. Not even the whole parish, because it was one of the, you know. What you should have done is go to St. Thomas More or go to another parish in the area, you know. Well, the interesting question is, why did the daughter stay? Because she was, her whole thing is, she was like, she was, uh, I guess more, uh, she's like, this is, this is my faith. This is my church or something. That's interesting. You know, there's a, there's a great line, um, that, uh, that a Pope, um, that's attributed to a Pope, but I can't remember which one and I don't want to quote it wrong, but uh, probably, but here's what, uh, um, yeah. Here's what I do remember is there is um, Napoleon kidnapped the Pope and he actually held the Pope captive for five years. And I don't remember which Pope it was because I get everybody mixed up. But um, anyway, in that time, um, the the story goes that Napoleon said that uh, told the Holy Father that he's going to destroy Christianity. Right. He's going to destroy the Catholic Church. And the Pope's response was, you silly little man. You think you can do what priests and bishops have been trying to do for centuries? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's um, I think that that's so true. Is that we, as the faithful, as um, faithful laity, faithful clergy, we, I think, more often than not, are the gates of hell that Jesus spoke about in Matthew's gospel, when he said that the um, that uh, uh, on you, Peter, I shall build my church, and the gates of the hell, the gates of hell will not, will not prevail against it. I think we're the gates of hell. Like, I think the way that we behave inside the church, how we push people away from the church, how we desecrate um, and how we commit sacrilege of hypocrisy constantly, um, I think that we are more often not, uh, myself included, like just in, in how I can be, I think I can more often than not be a gate of hell than I am the body of Christ. It's very uh, grown up the way you feel like that. <laughs> I'm totally the opposite. I'm like, don't worry, come on, see me. Yeah. Even yeah. though the outside of me is like, hey, watch how sinful I can be, but I'm still right. really, really nice. <laughs> right. But and the problem is, well, for me, I know that oftentimes I'm not always that nice. Um, even though I try to be, especially professionally, because I know that about me that I can be kind of abrasive. Uh, and so professionally about me, I try to be really, really nice, but I think, I think in the times of weakness, like any one of these priests or like any one of these, um, these other people that uh, for whatever reason, turn people off from the church, I think it's the time of weakness, but it's that time of weakness that is the gate of hell. Like that is, um, that is pushing people away from the church. Right. Uh And so I guess. What's I, I guess I don't really have a good like solution to the problem of two and three, those who um, 
those who believe that Jesus is president of the Eucharist and don't care or those who don't like Jesus because of his followers or, you know, because most often when people say they don't like Jesus, they either don't like Jesus because of some pop culture definition of Jesus or because of the people that represent him because we are the body of Christ and therefore what we represent is is Christ to, the, to them. Yeah. There's no way you can fix that. That's just human behavior. Right. So what do we do? We focus on orthodoxy we focus on right teaching is that is that the the solution focus on the the um the percentage of people that don't go to church because they don't know what the church teaches and don't believe it you mean like before they stray or even those who are or or those who are straight or, or those who aren't going the problem is you have to get a good media campaign or or like you say with a good hype man or something because how many times do does society says oh because i am x the catholic church hates me that's very true you know it's like gay i said that so gay (laughs) you know with the gay community they're like well i grew up catholic so i know they hate me and it's like well no it's you know the catholic church has its views on homosexuality but the fact is the catholic church preaches the fact that everybody should be loved because they're a person Right, right, and it has nothing to nothing against homosexual persons. In fact, I think I personally think that if people who um, identify as homosexual, their their safest place would actually be in the Catholic Church. Because um, think about it, like um, the Catholic Church is never going to define a person by their sexuality, whereas the rest of for whatever reason we're in this culture that wants to define people by their sexuality. Oh, and so but define them by everything. Right, right. Yeah, just just narrowly put them in this little box of this is your world. If you are gay, you need to be this. Like a, a really good example is um oh man, now his name escapes me, but um Star Trek. Um the guy George who Takei. Play- who? George Takei. Yeah, George Takei, right. Yeah, um George Takei, uh, he's he's gay, right? And then I there was this there was this article that was written that um in the new Star Wars Star Trek Star Wars, the new Star Trek films, the guy who's playing Sulu now, mm-hmm. like they wrote it that his character would be gay, right? Mm-hmm. In in the show or in the movie. Um and Takei was really he was actually upset about that. Um, yeah, because and, Sulu wasn't gay. Exactly. Takei was gay. And John Cho, who is Sulu in the new movies, isn't gay. Right, right. And so now, but be, but Sulu in the new movies is gay, and that wasn't what the original um, the original vision for Sulu was, and it was it wasn't true to who Cho was, and yet because they felt like they wanted Takai to fit uh, to fit into this this mold like everything about George Takai needs to be gay therefore this is a George Takai role therefore it needs to the character needs to be gay regardless of whether the actor is or not so we just need to we need to force everything into this particular mold um, and right. that's go ahead but it wasn't even Takai's character who was gay it was the new guy's character who was right. gay right exactly <laughs> which which makes it terrible right and that's why he was so upset about that but we've we've created a culture in which we need to narrowly fit everybody into this into this identity that we force them into. But see, in, in the Catholic tradition, the Catholic culture, you are first and foremost a child of God, regardless of 
regardless of your behavior, regardless of your desires, regardless of anything else, you are first and foremost a child of God. And that's how we define you. In fact, every every piece of virtue, every piece of Catholic morality, everything flows from the um, the seamless garment, so to speak, of the dignity of the human person, right? That a, that a human person has value and dignity in and of themselves because they're children of God, apartless of, of who they love, apart from who, uh, apart from how they behave. Because let's face it, you and I are sinners. Yes. You and I, you and I fail in, in numerous ways, um, and sometimes are unrepentant of those things that we fail from. Right? It's, we are we are very imperfect people. And so if, to be somebody who identifies as gay, uh, regardless of whether you're, you're – um, regardless of where you feel like you fit in the world, the only place the, – the, the best place or the place that's not going to reject you would be theologically the Catholic Church. Like we're not going to say that you're less of a person because you, you – um, act in a way contrary to the teachings of the church because you know what i act in the way contrary to the teachings of the church uh-huh. you know and that's that's the, but and yet um i think the distinction that most people would make would be wh- whether or not you're repentant of your action uh in the in the church and that's where that's where people get really um really upset but repentance comes from a movement of the holy spirit you know love comes first you think about the um the woman at the will, the well in John's gospel, right? You know, Jesus encounters this woman who is, uh, you know, has had several wives in the, or several wives, several husbands, husbands in the, and the man she's with now is not even her husband, right? And she's not, um, she's not repentant until after she feels loved and accepted by Christ. Um, and so the, you know, that's, that's the whole Pope Francis lead with mercy thing. That's, that's, uh, kind of ruffles people's feathers at times. Um, but yeah. Anyway, that's a random tangent. No, no, and it's true. And like you said, theologically, the safest place would be with the Catholic Church. But as we said before, how many members of the church that we may know personally or just there that would not be there with open arms? That's the problem. Because like you're saying, back to the point of the people or the problem sometimes. Oh yeah. Well, more more often than not, we are oh. hell's gate, right? We yes. are the gates of hell that are that the church is storming against. I think, I think that's a that's a good picture because if I'm the body of Christ, Jesus is storming against my my inclinations of sin, and I'm uh, I'm more often than not fighting against that, right? It's I want to hold. We we talked about this last time, though. This idea of uh, wanting to hold on to my own sin, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Cocaine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And God is God is banging against that gate of hell, and it, and eventually, God wins. Like if I if I open myself up to God, eventually He will win, and He will break down that gate of hell. The gates of hell will not prevail against Him. And uh, um, but I've got to be willing to to enter into that battle, to enter into that battle and wrestle with it. Um, and I think that I think then the answer to the the problem would be for all, all of us who listen to this podcast or who or who go to church weekly who believe what the church teaches on on various fronts. I think then the answer um, is that we need to to really start letting God um, berate our gates and storm our gates. You know those those things that that we've been holding on to or those. Um, 
those pieces of ourselves that that are ugly and that um, are terrible and just letting God um, really, really for us to begin to struggle with them, bring them to the forefront and letting God storm the gates and and destroy them. I think one of the things is even just a, a simple thing is, is I don't know. It, to me, I feel like the bad catechesis part is when we stress so much that this truly is the body and blood of Christ. And you hammer that in so hard. But it's when you say it like that to the average person who's listening to this, they're going to feel like. Yeah, but it's not. It's still bread and wine. Look at it. And they're going to look at, like you said, the accents, the physical attributes, all that kind of stuff. And that was my problem. Where, and I don't know if we put this on the episode two, but it has the least amount of downloads. So listen to episode two. If, but, <laughs> but, like, I had a problem with the full bread turns into body, wine turns into blood, all the way. Because that's the way they taught it. And I'm like, but it still looks like that. So when I heard of consubstantiation, and you probably heard all this before, but maybe not the listeners. But when I heard of consubstantiation where it's, it's, it's bread and body and wine and blood all together. So I looked at the Eucharist as like a big cookie, like an Oreo. And the creamy filling is Jesus. You know? Because I'm like, it's still a piece of bread. And can I believe that there's the jelly Jesus donut inside, you know? Yes, I can believe that there's Jesus inside this bread. But you can't tell me there's no more bread to it. Because that's the way we teach it. It's the fact is, is. there's no more bread, it's only Jesus. And I say, there's a lot of bread right there. I taste it. It tastes the same as it tasted before the priest said anything. And... I could believe you put Jesus in this bread, but there's still bread because we That's don't. Interesting, because the reason why we use that language, like the truly real presence, is because um, that's that's literally the language from Trent, right? When we talk about transubstantiation, uh-huh. uh, and the language is um, the whole Christ is truly, really, and substantially present, right? Um, and so that's why people harp on that language. But the whole reason behind that language had nothing to do with um, trying to convince you that bread doesn't exist. The whole reason behind that language was was to try to teach that even if you had a fragment of the host, like just just a small piece of the host, that Jesus is is truly really present in that. Or if you only received under one species, if you only received under the the species of the bread and not the species of the wine, then you're still getting um, everything. You're still getting all of Jesus. That's oh. why that language is there. But see, here's the thing: it's not told that way, right? Oh, it's, that's interesting. Because here's the other thing: I even remember in my adult age saying, I don't know how many times I've heard, "Oh, if you receive just the body, it's cool because it's everything." So if we don't have wine, you're good. Or the swine flu's coming out, so we're going to stop doing wine, right. sharing the cup. But right, don't right. worry, you get body and blood in the in the in the host. And then I'm like, well, then what the hell's the point of the wine? Nobody ever said yes. You can only drink the the blood, and it counts as body and blood too. 
Right. It's never that way. It's always taught or mentioned, don't worry, just eat the bread and you're good. And you got everything. It's never said, just drink the wine and you're good. And I don't know if that's because they're like, oh, look at all these alcoholics who are just going to just jump in line for the wine. But that's one of the things I didn't like because, like, I literally legitimately said, you know, was like, why is this that way? Why is one half and the other all? Because they never taught you that both both are all. Like, I know that there are glucose-free hosts right, for right. people who have problems with weed allergies and stuff. And but technically, lies. if you have it, you could skip that line, go right to the wine, and you exactly. get everything fine. Exactly. Like if you had an alcohol um, um, allergy or something. So, but back to the point where you're pointing out is that um, – they stress those words because you're saying even a fragment of the host is all Jesus. Yeah. You know, like where, um, you know, you, you, um, who was it? We, we went to a talk in Anaheim where the guy said that the, the kid grabbed one host and he broke it into 25 pieces for his whole class. You know? Oh yeah. 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 Oh wait, you might've been, not been there for that. But, um, the point was he still broke it into all these pieces. So everybody still got communion, even though they were left out at this one big uh, uh, World Youth Day thing. And just because you had that crumb, you still got 100% of Jesus. Right. But my point is, is you go back to the thing is that those words are stressed for that, but it's being stressed the fact that this is all Jesus all the time. And my logical brain doesn't comprehend that and if they would have said oh it's the spirit or it's the you know it's gonna look like that but the you know spiritual essence is different right and the physical essence is not so like when physical accidents yeah it's when you watch the um that busted halo video and the father said it's not transformation then it's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Because we teach it. The way we teach it a lot is here's a piece of bread and now it's Jesus. Right. But it looks like bread. But it's not. It's Jesus. But right. it still looks like bread. It's Jesus. But it and that's something, even... <laughs> that's something we did talk about in the in, the, in our second episode was the difference between um, uh, the substance and, and accidents, which we don't want to – spend too much time on here because we did talk about it in the second episode. So listen to the second episode if you haven't. But um, just briefly, the substance is the, the, the trueness of a thing and the accidents are all the, the, um, the physical, physical. Um, everything physical you can attributes. perceive, right? The physical attributes, right? But not the, not the ultimate essence. So think about Freaky Friday, right? So if, uh, um, if uh, in, in Freaky Friday, it was uh, the little girl, her essence was transferred into the mom's accidents and the mom's essence was transferred into the daughter's accidents. Right. And so they were in at the most deepest real level. The uh, the body of the mom was in reality the daughter and this and vice versa was true. And so that's that's what we're talking about in in essence and accidents with the Eucharist. Um but um, but the, the I think what people struggle with is is that reality is that um, how does that happen 
You know, I think that because that's not something that you see in nature so much, right? Because you see transformation. Like you could see a caterpillar, um, the essence of a caterpillar, caterpillar and the accidents of a caterpillar transform into a butterfly, right? A butterfly is essentially a different thing than a caterpillar, right? They don't set, they don't share the same essences. Um, well, well, wait, does it share the same essence, but it has completely different accents? N- no, they don't, they don't even, they don't share the same essence. Caterpillarness is, com- is different than the butterflyness. Oh, I would have right. thought no. You would have thought they share the same essence? Yeah. I'd say it, this is George the Caterpillar. Oh, interesting. And now and George, George goes the butterfly. into his little cocoon, and now he's George the Butterfly. Oh, we should ask a Thomist. We should make a. We should create an ask. Well, I think I think a lot of this breakdown comes with the idea of um, uh, there was an old boat analogy, right? Whenever you have um, a boat and it becomes old, and so you replace the helm, and then eventually you pr- replace the mast, and and eventually you repla- replace every part of this boat. Is it still the same boat? And in philosophy, some people disagree. They they say that no, it's a completely different boat because you've changed all the individual parts. But in Aristotelian philosophy and in Thomistic philosophy and theology, you would say that's the same boat. You know, we had this conversation with Terry. Hi, Terry, if you're listening, because she was talking about her trampoline, right? The trampoline in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And it was the the fact that. Um, every part of the trampoline, they've had that trampoline for years, and every part of the trampoline has been replaced. And so I asked her, is it the same trampoline? And she said no. And I said, yes, it is. It's the love's trampoline. That's its essence, even though some of the parts have changed. In its essence, it's it's the love's trampoline. You know, it's Terry's trampoline. And so um, so that's what that's what we're talking about in the reality of what's changed. And in the reality of the bread, the reality of the wine, we're talking about the essence. We're talking about it, its deepest, most fundamental being of level, what it is, not its not its molecular level, not its material level, but in its, its essential level. I used the example in the previous podcast of um, to, to understand the essence or the the substance of a thing. We talked about whether or not a unicorn exists. Remember. Mm-hmm. And because uh, you can imagine unicorn in your head, um, therefore it has an essence. But um, since unicorns don't exist, there are no accidents, right? So there's this this deep, deeper level of a thing um, that is its essence, right? And so in, when it comes to the Eucharist, that is what has changed in the bread and wine. So all the matter is there, but the essence of the thing is not there. And so the question becomes then um, – and I think that this is I think that this is actually proper to the Eucharist. Because think about think about the Old Testament, right? In the Old Testament, there are a lot of prefigurations of the Eucharist, right? There's the Passover meal where they take the unleavened bread and they eat it in a rush. And it's, it's, a sa- it's a saving from slavery, right? Mm-hmm. You think about um, uh, the probably the most perfect um, prefigurement mm-hmm. of the of the Eucharist in the Old Testament is the manna yeah, while they're wandering in the wilderness, right? That sustains them for life through the wilderness and, and before they enter into the promised land. That is the and, first reading on Holy Thursday. Yeah, right, and and it, rightly so because you think about like what does the word manna mean? The word manna literally means what or what is it? Like, what is this? They it, they didn't have a word to describe what was being fed to them from God, and so they just call it what is it or or what? And um, and then it's not until 
it's not until Jesus comes and he feeds the 5,000 and with this miraculous multiplication of the loaves that is recorded in all four gospels that it's so imprinted on the memory of the early church that they had to repeat it even if they knew it was included in all the other in all the other gospel writings it just needed to be said over and over again and then in John's gospel so perfectly immediately after this they those coming to Jesus um talk to him about about the nature of the manna the nature of the multiplication of the loaves and Jesus, um, he says that, that I am the bread. I am the bread that came down from heaven. Well, the bread that came down from heaven is the manna. And Jesus says that, no, whenever you ask what is it in the wilderness, that's me, right? In order for Jesus to be a fulfillment of the manna that came down from heaven, he has to be more than manna, right? He has to be not less than manna, but he has to be um, – he has to encompass manna and all the other Old Testament prefigurations of Eucharist. He has to be the sacrifice of Abraham with Melchizedek that brought bread and wine, right? He has to be he has to be the Passover he has to be the Passover incarnate. He has to be the uh, the manna from heaven. He has to be all these things in order to be more than them. Right? And so Jesus then now is saying that I am the bread of life. And they, they ask the question, well, how is this How is this so? And then he says, well, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. True drink. In fact, um, in John chapter 6, I think he actually says, I, don't, I, should, I really should grab a Bible when I do this, but I think he says it like seven <laughs> times, right? Where in, that, in that whole John chapter 6, in the, the Bread of Life discourse, I think seven different times, um, he says something to the effect of eat my flesh, drink my blood. Uh-huh. And it's not, and it's not hyperbole, because um, other times that he's being hyperbolic, like when he says, "I am the gate," you know, he doesn't, he doesn't repeat, "Oh, my my hand is a doorknob and my you know shoulders are are hinges." You know, he he doesn't go into depth, or whenever um, he's talking with um, what's his name, Nicodemus in John in John chapter three, and he's being super hyperbolic, and he says, "You must be born of water and spirit." Or you must, I'm sorry, he says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, well, how the heck do I climb back in my mother's womb and then get born again? And then Jesus corrects him. He says, no, no, I'm saying you need to be born of spirit. You need to be born of new, you know, of water and spirit, right? He, he corrects the, the, he helps understand the metaphor, the hyperbole. Um, but in John's gospel, in John chapter six, he doesn't do that. He says seven different times that he, his flesh is true food and his blood is true drink. To the point where the the those that are following him are appalled. They're like, Jesus, you need to explain yourself because this doesn't make any sense. And they keep asking him and they grumble against him all the way to the point where in verse 66, his disciples, it says, many of his disciples, not just the crowd, but many of his disciples no longer followed him because of that teaching. And he didn't turn around and say, hey, guys, I'm being hyperbolic. Hey, guys, this is just like the time that I said I was the gate. Or, hey, guys... You know, this is just like the time I told Nicodemus you need to be born of water and spirit. This is no, he didn't say that. He instead he turns to Peter and to you and I, and he says, "Will you leave me too?" In verse sixty-seven, will you also leave? And that's I think that that's where that's where the rubber kind of hits the road when it comes to the Eucharist, because Jesus Jesus asks a number of questions in the New Testament, right? And one of the most profound ones is, who do you say that I am? But I think this is also a profound question that Jesus poses. And it's not just a profound question that he poses 
to um, the disciples that are present, but to you and me. He says, will you also leave? Because I said that this bread, that this bread is my flesh and you must eat it. And this blood, this wine is my blood and you must drink it. Will you also leave because I said that? And then in 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 St. Peter's perfect response, to whom else should we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. The words that you say are are what is true. You know, your the your words are what is. You know, and I think that that's I think that that's that's the biblical answer to to the Eucharist, right? Jesus, because Jesus is God, right? And 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 whenever God speaks, He creates. Right, because you and I, whenever we speak, you know, we can describe, or we can, um, heck, we can, we can, we can, uh, um, we can affect reality when we speak too, right? Because I can tell you that, um, or I can tell somebody, hey, hey, um, I don't like your face, or, or whatever, right? And then that person kind of gets either they'll either get mad, and that, or they'll get um, sad. Or, or something will affect that person's reality because of what I said, right? Mm-hmm. So my words do affect a reality. In fact, my words can affect reality at, um, at, at other levels. So um, uh, Bishop Barron's famous example would be like the umpire who says, you're out. You know, he's affected reality. That person is out. You know, and, and he's affected the reality of the game. Um, and so God being god whenever he speaks he doesn't he doesn't just he doesn't merely describe like what we do because we can describe in our speech but he creates in his speech right in fact all all of creation is his is spoken into existence right let there be light you know let there be land it, it it's spoken into creation at, at not just the accidental level, but the ontological level of reality. He's speaking it into existence. And then Jesus comes along and you see the same thing. He tells the storm to be quiet. He tells the, the, the crippled man to pick up his mat and walk. He tells um, the crippled man again, your, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, this is my body. This is my blood. He is creating in his speech at the deepest and on and most fundamental level, or else that man who he said get up and walk, his sins are not forgiven. If Jesus is not speaking at the deepest and most fundamental level, but Jesus as God is creating in his speech, he's changing the ontological nature of the body and blood to be what it's what it meant what he means it to be. He means it to be himself, that we might be actually able to commune with him in the most intimate way possible. And I think that that's cool. And like we, yeah, I think, I think that that's cool. I think that we either fail to teach that well, or we don't get it when it is spoken is if it's too theological in nature, it's too heady. Yeah. I think it's, Wow, you really went off for a while. Sorry. <laughs> I do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's where we're usually just like, and that's the show. But <laughs> And that's the show. David, David no, rants I, I, at the end. I do feel like there's so much of that that's not, that's not um, you know, taught. Well, any of that, like you were just pointing out, oh, you know, you just went way off on that. And, it, and that's almost homily material right there. But it's like. You know, Sorry. 
I just even rants. little things. Like, I think it's just a little bit where it's just like, don't take this. I don't want to say don't take it literally because then that's the point we're trying to point out is, oh, it's literal. It's not just a representation. But we got to point out that the attributes are going to be the same, the physical attributes or something like that. And because I think that's the point. Even your uh, – um, the the survey i wonder right. how many people are answering correctly because they may just be uneducated on it like oh i know what they're teaching but i don't know what they're teaching right you know i know they said this is this and that is that even though our faith is more what we were pointing out you know where people don't even know what essence is right you know like i was already confirmed and everything before i figured out the whole essence thing I think it was in my 20s, you know, with Father Romeo teaching about the essence and stuff. And you're like, what? This makes so much more sense now. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah. Now now, I even understand why people would understand consubstantiation. Because they're trying to say it is bread and it is Jesus. It just looks like bread, but it's Jesus in its spirit. Boy, do do other people know this? (laughs) You know? Yeah. And and I would believe that boat is a boat, is the same boat. Oh yeah, yeah. I think because so. that's. I think maybe to me it's because you do one piece at a time. So, so it's, rather than buying a whole new boat, yeah, or something. Yeah, you know, even when you sometimes even like uh, buildings like um, the MGM building here, uh, the the hotel casino is. In Vegas, there's a big, uh, I don't know, one one wing of it is the old Marina Hotel and Casino. So I would say that that still partly the Marina Hotel and Casino. You know, like the essence still is there because they just built around it. Oh, gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I could see that in another when we're using these physical examples like the boat and trampoline. I want to clarify things. Terry's last name is Love. So when you say this, Love's trampoline. Oh, oh yeah. I probably, it, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if she'd be okay with us selling her last name on this podcast. Well, you already said it's a Love's trampoline and I didn't I want sure people did. to be like, what do you mean by a Love trampoline? I thought you meant like a Love swing <laughs> or something like that. That's terrible. And more All clarifications. Right. It is Pius the Sixth was the Pope. <sighs> I knew it was Pius. So Told right. you. I would have guessed Pius or Innocent. So that's what I said. Shut up! Don't give. Don't be all like. <laughs> oh, I would have guessed the same things Neil just said. Yeah. Well, no, that would made sense though because of the time frame. Yeah. But anyway. He, yes, he was after Clement the Fourteenth and before Pius the Seventh. There you go. What about the um? So if that's if that's the theological solution is to teach more accurately the essences and accidents, and then the other solution was to to I mean like not like these are actual like these are theoretical solutions because you know how many how many churches or how many catechists are we going to be able to get to to so follow us or 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 how what's not not necessarily to follow us how many um, regardless of how we teach it in class. How are we going to know that it's going to be received the way that it's taught, right? Even if we teach it super well. Oh. How do, you see what I'm saying? No, yeah, then, yeah. Because 
there's sometimes they just don't listen or care or they already have their minds made up. Right. But right. I think even if we start at second grade yeah. for first communion, because it's a little hard because I know that in first communion I was taught one way. And even throughout confirmation and everything, like I said, till my 20s, did I feel like that's the way it was. Right. So sometimes kids have their minds made up from something they heard at seven. So me talking to 16-year-olds and telling them, no, 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 this is what it is, maybe that's like, to them, they're like, whoa, no way. Or maybe they're like, it doesn't matter, Neil's wrong because I've already have it in my head that it's been wrong. Right, for the right, last exactly. nine years. Yeah. So there's that. But I think that would make it a little easier if we started that way. Because then you won't sit there and have something lingering on you like, this doesn't make sense. I don't like it. And it's more of this church mumbo jumbo that doesn't work with science. Right, right. You know, where a lot of church stuff, you know, it does work with science or something. Of course. And then you're going to get points, you know, I don't know, like the whole seven days, you know, oh, Earth's created or, you know, the world's created seven days. And then you'll sit there and say, well, that's wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or you'll go the fact that it's like, how did God create uh, day and night before it created the sun and the moon if the sun exactly. is what determines day and night and then it's like wait, 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 wait that's not the point we're trying to say right or the fact that the first um first story of creation it all things are created and then man is created whereas in the very next chapter chapter two god creates man first and then creates everything else um and so, like, it's it's self-contradictory in it. And so, I mean, people don't realize that that's not the point of either of those chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that's that's a different podcast. Yeah. But but back to – yeah, sorry. So back to the point. <laughs> it's, you know, if we catechize a little better in the beginning, you know, and we're talking about like even back to second grade. I'm talking about even at home. I think at home is oh, where it begins well, with yeah. our kids. Like, like, Sorry, that goes without saying, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, just to like to talk to our kids about the reality of Jesus and how you know, like that's that's Jesus truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in there, and and the whole point of it is that is to say God wants to be with you, like God loves you so much, He wants to live with you, He yeah. wants you to walk with Him in the most intimate way possible, right? So anyway, and it still looks like bread. Yep. So that so that way you can, because otherwise you wouldn't be able to. Otherwise, if it, if it looked like real flesh and if it looked like real blood, then we wouldn't we would be repulsed by it as humans, right? We wouldn't be able to consume it. Exactly. There would be there would be no way for us to take that into ourselves. But then, if it was partially bread and partially Jesus, then it's not then it's not all of Jesus. Then, then we're not receiving Jesus wholly. We're receiving something else. We're receiving some composite. But God wants to give us all of himself, not just part of himself. Like it's it's I think marriage is a is a great analogy. And we used this before, but the marriage analogy that God wants to give you his whole life, not just part of his life. You know, yeah. it's not like um like not like I tell GV, all right, honey, I'm I'm gonna be your husband on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, but then the rest of the week, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be my own guy. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to be anybody's 
It would be anything else. Now, God says, no, I want to give you all of me. You know, That's I'm going to give you time. What's that? That's Willie's time. That's Willie's. <laughs> Sorry. Simpson reference. The Simpsons reference. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was uh, The Shining, right? That was a good episode. Yeah, The Shining. The Shining. Shining, you want to get sued, sued? boy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, The Simpsons. Yeah, we digress too easily. Um, all right, what about that last one? The last category of people who don't go to Mass because... They be, but they believe in the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus truly present in the Eucharist, but they are ashamed because of that reality. What can we say to those people? I don't uh, I guess that's when you have to stress on the open arms and the unconditional love of Christ and the redemptiveness and, you know, back to reconciliation I guess all those things that God desires them. I yeah. Think. That God wants to be with you, even in warts and all. Right. Right. Cause isn't that the, the reality of shame is that, um, you feel unworthy and inadequate when in reality we are unworthy and inadequate. And yet God wants us anyway. Mm-hmm. Something <laughs> like that, because that's the point is, you know, where, as we pointed out before, like the outside world will look at you and like, oh, you go to church, you you must be perfect. And now that you're not, now I drop you off your pedestal. But the other way is you also look at yourself as like, I'm going to church, I should be perfect, but really I'm bad. So I, I'm not worthy enough to go to church. They don't look at church like we talked about before, where it's like church is the hospital to get better. Right. You know, the sin is my illness and I got to cleanse it by going to church. And that helps me get over the fact of the sin. Where more likely we're looking at it as a destination. Like we can go to church, but I can't go to church until I'm free of this thing. So right. I need to drop the monkey off my back and then I can go to church. So it's more of a, a, a finish line kind of thing. But I think that I think that's something perpetuated by us who go to church too, because I've heard like other people before say something along the lines of like, "Oh, um, I don't go to church. I'm not. I'm not like uh, I, if I if I dip my hand in the holy water, it'll boil." Or yeah, the church it's always yeah. When I walk in, yeah, the church will collapse on me or something like that. I'm not, and it's always it's always juxtaposed with I'm not holy like you. You know, like you can walk in there and and God accepts you. I walk in there and the holy water boils, you know. Right. Um, yeah, that's so. But see, the idea is the holy water boils like when you spray the uh, peroxide on a wound and it has that bubble up. You know, uh, you it's know, boiling when, to heal you. Yes, and it killing all the germs. You ever do that? That's, that's good. I like that. That was just right now. That's right off the top of my head. You know, uh, it's boiling, but that's that's how you know it's working. That's how you know. See how it hurts? That's how it's killing the germs. Yeah. Oh yeah. If you use that, I mean, when you're a little kid, and and you used to hate when grandma would, and you're like, oh, it hurts so much. But then, like when you're older, and it's like I. I'm cut. Let me use this. And if it didn't sting enough, you're like, it's not working. Something's wrong. <laughs> the, the head and shoulders, you know, it's working because it tingles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I don't so know. Anyway. That's just my point. And the fact is, it's hard to tell people who, are, like you said, are, um, I guess, ashamed or whatever to go to church. And it's just a whole new mindset. It's just like you can't just go door to door and say, you know what? Jesus loves you. You can go back to church. You're okay. I mean, I guess you can, but nobody's going to really listen. But, I mean, that's the problem with that kind of stuff. It's the same thing where it's like, you know, people who are manic depressants and just say, you know, people do love you. And right. then have them fully jump on board. But I think that maybe the little invitations do help. Oh, no. It. Sorry. I, I Let's go back to the point. Yeah, you were right. I'm just talking about in general for the whole. Oh, like. Like. For the whole one third or whatever, right, that right. that that one fourth of the people you're talking about, it's impossible to tell everybody. But yes, you are correct. You tell one person or or right. some obtainable Maybe. amount of people that should help. Right. No, just that that little invitation, even if it's even if it's not responded to every time. But that little invitation that's responded to once or twice in in a, a while or whatever, you know, just letting them know that hey, you know, and reminding us as well, like whenever we have those experiences of our own shame, that hey, you know, God does want you here, and not only that, God wants you here, I want you here, you know. Yeah. It's that you, you the the church is less because you're not here, you know, right? Because you you are a believer who belongs here and is not here and we want you here and God wants you here yeah yeah, yeah that's good see on fire today look at that solving all the world's problems well, all you the know, Catholic problems if more people listen to me oh I got more problems <laughs> but we don't want to be registered as political podcast but <laughs> uh, we could talk about political stuff if you want to oh exactly. yeah I got all the answers to guns Abortion. Uh, what was the other stuff? Immigration. Immigration. Yeah. What, what are all the hot, hot button topics? <laughs>